Hey folks, this is P. Bissardo, and you are listening to Dimitri on Smoke Free Radio. Hello, my fellow vapors. Welcome to another edition of Smoke Free Radio, right here on the one and only VP Live Network. My name is Dimitris, if you don't know by now. Or you can just call me Dimmy, as it appears that everybody has switched to calling me now. It's Dimitris. It's not that hard. Why are you abbreviating my name? Three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine. Press one when you hear the British lady speaking. If you want to participate with any questions or comments uh, during tonight's broadcast, and of course on Twitter at Vaping Greek V A P I N G R E E K hashtag Smoke Free Radio. M cannot be here with us. She apologized, but she is tending to an emergency over there, tending to a friend. We wish her and her friends, family, uh, speedy recovery with everything that they're dealing with there. Hopefully we'll have her back here next week. One of the dreaded episodes today, uh, obviously we will be talking about uh, the Indiana law, uh, one, of, one of the bad laws that passed across the country affecting the e-cig industry here today. I will be joined by Evan here in a little bit from the Hoosier Vapors. And um, we're going to touch a little bit, obviously, on the Cali fiasco, continuing the Cali fiasco. Uh, and at the end, I do have another rant, thanks to our good buddy, uh, Tom Baker, from Kevin's show this past Sunday. And I hate to disappoint you once again, but Russ did not do a show once again last night. Obviously, waiting an hour before his show to announce that he will not be doing a broadcast. So uh, I do not own Vapor's Place or VP Live, but if you do wish to complain, info at vaporsplace.com. Send all your all all your complaint emails info at vaporsplace dot com and demand demand your money back <laughs> demand your money back for the lack of entertainment on Tuesday nights. Uh, before we get started, this past weekend I did attend the Vapenville <clears throat> first event, big event in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, there were there were quite a few things wrong with the event. Uh, the the guys that put it on, this was their first event. Uh, it was in a warehouse, no air conditioning, and you know, for me as a fat guy, that sucks majorly. <laughs> but even but it sucks even more for the vendors and the vapors that spent two days there. I attended Saturday, um, <clears throat> but but I uh, aside from the heat and, and the location of the event, I must commend. Uh, Nashville and all the vendors and the vapors that attended this event. Uh, we raised more money uh, at this event than any other event in the state of Tennessee. Over $7,000 for advocacy. I'm so proud to be part of that. Uh, nearly $4,000 were raised for the Tennessee Smoke Free Association. 
And even Cloud Chasers Inc., which held the cloud competition, competition donated the winning prize and matched it for a grand total of $3,000 to the vaping militia. Over $7,000 raised at Vapingville. So proud of that. Uh, a lot of companies stepped up. Revolve, uh, the new uh, company by Austin Hopper, um, Craven Vapor, um, trying to think of whatever they're going to be so mad Cutwood, um it, it, it was it, good life vapor and there's a few more but anyway you know who you are i certainly appreciate everybody that donated to this uh the mods that were given the raffles that were given we got to speak uh we had a really good advocacy talks it was really refreshing to see uh chris tucker from cutwood and the shift that that we have seen with him emceeing these events uh, and he's really taken advocacy seriously. And, of, of course, you know, what's happening in California right now is one of the biggest reasons that I think that it's affected him because it's seeing it. He's seeing it in his own state where they manufacture. So, but I was so proud to see this young kid. Uh, you know, I've only known him for about a year, year and a half since he came on the scene. But, man, what a great job he did. Uh, one thing that stood out. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, I did I did give my praise to Cloud Chasers. Don't think I'm bashing Cloud Chasers. When they do good things, we're going to praise them, and uh, and they did. I got to see Kurt from Cloud Chasers there, and trust me, even Kurt, which leads this cloud chasing phenomenon, he really understands what's going on, and he he really cares about the industry, and um, and uh, and he wants to do more. He wants to get involved. So uh, I'm come on in, Kurt. Come on in, buddy. We got open arms for you over here. If you can help anybody that can help, we certainly welcome you. Um, back to Chris Tucker. One, one of the interesting uh, uh, points in in the advocacy uh, while we were given our speech, uh, we we informed uh, the the vapors uh, of what's going on in Tennessee, what bills we defeated last year, and what we're planning to face this year. When Chris was talking about advocacy, one of the guys in the audience kept yelling, fuck the FDA. I mean, literally, constantly, fuck the FDA. And, you know, all of us kind of looked at each other on the stage and just wanted to, <laughs> just wanted to choke the hell out of this guy. He kept yelling over and over, fuck the FDA, and I'm the coal king, and I can build any kind of coil, and, you know, and I'm like, and Chris really handled it well. He says, listen, we're representing the vaping community. We have to show a professional face. If you write a comment to the FDA and the FDA reads, fuck the FDA, what benefit have you done to you, to your community, to the smokers, and to the entire movement? The only thing that you've done is proven your IQ is negative. That's the, that's the only thing, Mr. Cole King. That's the only thing that you're doing. And how rude, how rude, with, with a panel of, of people that are trying to do something good, uh, how dare you fuck the FDA? I mean, I, yeah, I agree with you, but I will not publicly say that. But in any case, uh, congratulations to Vaping Milk. For our first event, they had some issues. They had some trouble. Oh, by the way, speaking of douchebags, <laughs> I got to put this in real before I move on. Uh, speaking of douchebags, there was a guy, and this is just a heads up to the vendors that listen to the replay. I, I know a lot of you guys just, just listen to it at work or in your car. There was a guy that showed up at the B2B session. Now, this is partially, again, Vapenville's fault, and I think moving ahead, the big expos really need to do a good job to identify businesses that are attending the B2B expo. But 
I've heard about this in the, you know, I've heard other people trying to scam people, you know, out of juices. But at BTB, a guy showed up that had printed business cards on his computer, just got one of those sheets of business cards and just printed it out on his computer and went to every booth and got liquid samples claiming, claiming that he had a vape shop. And it's that was brilliant. I mean, you have to give the guy uh, a little bit of, of credit for, for coming up with this scheme. And obviously, he was able to pull it off. But what kind of a low-life piece of human excrement are you to, to print business cards, to go get some free juice that these vendors... If you go ask any vendor, I guarantee you... If you're in a hardship, if you don't, if, if you're having any vapor, if you're having a hard time, anybody will give you their shirt off their back. And you went there and you scammed a few hundred mils of li- liquid. Man, congratulations. I hope, I hope you're the first one in this community to get popcorn lung, you fucker. All right, moving along. Uh, patiently waiting on the telephone line I have here joining me all the way from Indiana. Mr. Evan McMahon. Evan, can you hear us? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Sorry to start off with a rant, but I just couldn't stand it. Can you believe this douchebag's printed out business cards to get free samples at the BTV? I mean, what kind of bullshit is that? (laughs) I I actually wanted to say something about that. Like, uh, I've experienced that at every single trade show I've done. Really? Uh, I've got people, there are people who, who go out and they form LLCs. Uh, the very first show I did, uh, the, the day after. Oops. Oopsie, oopsie, doopsie. Hold on just a second there, Evan. Hold on just a second. Stand by, everybody. Oh, come on. What a What a fantastic time for Skype to crash, right? What a fantastic time to crash. Stand by, stand by. Uh, only on me would this happen. Only on me. Or Russ. Russ has technical difficulties all the time. All right, here we go. Stand by, stand by. To start your show now, press 1. To hear important instructions, press 2. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Gee, thanks. All right, Evan. Sorry about that. I just had a crash on Skype. So let's start off from the beginning. You said (laughs) you experienced this in other trade shows. Yeah, uh, I was actually uh, one of the the very first vape shows I did. Um, I had a guy. uh, I went in the day after the B2B. uh, I see in one of the local... Uh, Facebook groups. He's uh, posting all the free swag that he got, uh, a bed full of stuff, and he says all it took was uh, some business cards from Kinkos and uh, $30 to file my LLC. And I saw my products right there, and I'm a struggling, you know, small business owner, uh, you know, trying to make it, and here's this guy stealing from me. And to be honest, I mean, it's just like you said, you know, people around my area know if, if you need something, I'm, I'm there for you. Uh, today, I just had a woman came in, and she was wanting to quit smoking, and 
I said, give me your pack of cigarettes, give me your lighter, I'm going to give you a Kanger Subbox Mini, I'm going to show you how to use it, I'm going to give you a free bottle of my liquid, um, and I'm going to set you up and come in every week, and we're going to check on your device, and we're going to make sure you're doing good. So, you know, we, we do that. Everybody, every vendor Everybody does that. Does you don't it. have to think from us, you know. That's, that's, so, that's the sad part it, about it. It is, it's not. It, it, the sad part about it is I believe I believe in that, Evan. It, no matter how much we criticize sometimes vendors and how much bullshit is going on, I think that everybody they, deep down inside, if you went and asked them for a bottle of juice, they're certainly going to give it to you. Um, but for somebody yeah. to do that, you know, it's, it's just it just takes a, a, it, it takes the lowest of the low, the bottom of the barrel, the, the scummiest of the scum to do something like that, in my opinion. But anyway. And you are in the business as well, along with Indiana Hoosier Vapors. You own uh, you you own a right. store, and you also have an e-liquid uh, manufacturing. You do Liberation Vape. Is that correct? That's right. That's okay, right. some of the best liquid out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Of course it was. Um, so b- b- before we start with with the technicalities, and I kind of went through this with Shell when I had her on from Texas when we discussed the Texas law. Before we get to the actual law as it passed. Uh, let's back up just a little bit. When did you first get wind that this bad legislation is coming into Indiana? Uh, for me, it was a, it was a little bit later in the game. Um, I started my company the middle of December, um, and I, I actually have a background in politics. I was a lobbyist, and I worked for political parties. And I'd kind of taken a vacation, if you will. Uh, I was kind of burnt out on campaigns. Uh-huh. And uh, moved into uh, you know, starting my e-liquid business. Um, the session in Indiana starts the beginning of January and, uh, I was starting to rock and roll and everything was moving forward. And then, uh, uh, it was about, I think January 8th, I think was the exact date. Uh, attorney general Greg Zeller, remember that name? He'll come up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, announced how to have this nice press conference and said that he was basically going after the scourge of the e-cigarette industry and, wanted to shut us down, and I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, <laughs> where did this come from? Um, so I joined uh, the local group, Hoosier Vapors, uh, which was more of a social club. It was a lot of consumers that got together to kind of try to fight uh, local vaping bans, and they'd been successful in a couple areas. Mm-hmm. And I sat in on a meeting uh, thinking, you know, I'm going to go in and I'm going to donate a couple of grand, and I'm going to give some, some of my, my time and, and help, help these guys fight this law. And... I ended up kind of becoming the point person because I knew how the process worked. Um, I knew how the, how the legislation operates. I knew how to read the law, how to craft amendments to it. Um, and then we really hit the ground running. That was uh, right around the 12th of January. Mm-hmm. The first hearing was on the 28th or 29th of January. Now let me stop you. Up and to this that, point, uh, up to yeah. this point, the Indiana Hoosiers or the organization was that did they have any lobby representation? So did anybody from the group know that this bill was making its way through its back channel? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're in politics, you know how a bill becomes law. So was there any, was yeah. anybody aware of how this was progressing through the back channeling? Did we have a voice to represent the industry in there? No, there, okay. there was at that point, um, no one within the, the, the Hoosier Vapors group knew I think there were some businesses that knew mm-hmm. uh, that it was coming. They may not have known exactly that we were going to be facing a total of six pieces of legislation and how awful they were going to be. Uh, but there were some businesses that did know something was moving. I don't know what they did on their own, but I do know that 
prior to that first hearing, not a single legislator had been contacted okay. um, by any of the, any of the businesses. Um, there was no trade association. There was no uh, you know fully formed consumer group. Um, there was there wasn't anything. Now let me ask you this though. Let me yeah. ask you this. And and you know I preach state. Uh, I, I preach state organization and lobbying. That's 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 what I do. I, I preach it mm-hmm. all the time. Do you believe you can't do? You can't be successful without it. You yeah, can't. exactly, exactly. And that's what that was. That was my point. And with the California thing that's going on, and everything that's going on in other states. I mean, it's not just Indiana. Sometimes we 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 sound like we're bashing in Indiana. That's not the truth. The truth is that we're trying to bring awareness, and and especially I want you to understand this as well too, because I think that a lot of people sometimes mistake what I'm saying. The only reason why I bring up examples like Indiana and Arkansas and so forth is to wake up the rest of the states. Take take the examples right. that we've seen in the past and try not to make the same mistakes. I mean, we're a baby industry. We get it. But now we've seen how bad legislation can affect you on a state-by-state cases without even touching the right. FDA. So I think it's extremely important that you get that point across. That I, th- I do believe that if we did have some kind of a representation lobby, at least we would have been aware of this starting to form. And it would have been a little bit more easier to, to manipulate and at least try to amend some stuff before it even makes it to the floor. Okay, carry on. Um, you know, and, and to that point, um, one of, in a lot of states, that's, that's very accurate. Um, you know, having that representation early on, even before anybody is catching wind, before anybody's even having the thought of, hey, I want to get my page on the paper by protecting the children, before that ever even happens, if you have representation in, in your, your legislative bodies, they can kind of quash some of that. They can have their ear to the ground. They know it's coming. They can get information to the right people that can go, hey, you know, I hear you're doing something stupid. Let me help you not do that. Um, but in our case, in Indiana, uh, we had something totally different. Um, all of the, the legislation that is the, uh, you know, the warriors who are out there to, to protect the children and have this misguided view of, of our industry and of the products that we're using, um, all of those bills got killed. Yeah. Um, they were all destroyed. Uh, we beat two taxes. We beat a, a ban on vaping in public. We beat a floor amendment that banned uh, vaping in public. Um, you know, and the, and the two taxes were would have killed the industry just immediately. They were massive, massive taxes. Um, but what we were up against with the bill that passed was uh, a young guy whose father was well connected to the liquor industry and the gaming industry who took the last two monopolies in the state, gaming and liquor, and said, let's create a third monopoly. And no amount of lobbying was going to change that. No, yeah. no pregame was going to get them off that bone. Right. Uh, you're talking about people who uh, invested millions of dollars because they believed they could turn hundreds of millions of dollars in profit over the next couple of years controlling the industry in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't going to beat them. Yeah, and, and it's extremely do, important for people to understand. The awareness. Right, and, and again, right. it's extremely important for people to understand who was behind this bill because this was, I mean, it, what yeah. I described at the time when I was doing the research, organized crime. I mean, I know I don't know if you can say it, no, but, but but I can say it. It's definitely organized crime, and it's a, it's it's simply an an attempt by by multi-million dollar companies to monopolize the distribution of liquid in Indiana. Yes, absolutely. And now that, you know, through, through the whole process, you know, we gained allies in the legislature. We gained some strong allies. There was a Senator Vanita Becker. I'm going to call her out because she was amazing. She stood up the final day 
and said, this is ridiculous. And, and there was the, the ultimate, um, you know, coup on you moment where she gets to ask questions of the author. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like the responses. So she just put her hand up, like as to say, shut up and said, you know what, I'm just going to speak to the bill, which is legislative, ter- you know, that's legislative speak for shut up, you're lying, I'm going right. to take the mic now. Right. Um, and she just eviscerated the bill. And we gained some support because of her. Um, and, you know, she has no ties to anyone in, in our industry or our community. She just saw bad legislation happening and saw that we were being railroaded by multimillionaires wanting to control an industry. And it's refreshing to see so that we, in politics these days. I mean, it's it's really refreshing yeah. to see at least there, there are a few good souls out there. I'm going to talk later on uh, about California where there's some really bad souls. <laughs> Part of the part of the process was there were there were a few businesses, uh, business owners in Indiana, and several consumers, um, you know, individual advocates, who spent days at a time living in Indianapolis at a hotel. I mean, like four out of seven days a week, they were in Indianapolis. So we're talking people who were driving three to five hours away, leaving their businesses for four or five days every week for like three and a half months. Um, we camped out in hotel rooms and we drafted amendments to this bill. Rational, reasonable amendments that everybody would look at and go, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then we would meet with a legislator who authored the bill and they would say, okay, this doesn't seem too bad. I'll let you know in a day or two. Well, then nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we would hear in committee hearings from legislators saying, what happened to these amendments? Where are they? Uh, are they are they being considered? And he would give a song and dance, and then the next thing you know, we're at the votes, and he's saying, "Oh no, no, the vaping industry is good with this." That was said on the floor, <laughs> to which we're you know we're outside the gallery watching this happening, losing our hair. It was like that moment for Obama in Congress when the guy stood up and yelled, "You lie!" You know, we're out there banging on the glass, screaming, "You lie!" And you know, it was just. He was pushing really hard. The other people were pushing uh, really hard behind the scenes. Legislators were told that the bill had been fixed, that all of our concerns had been addressed, um, but that we couldn't get everything we wanted. Um, And so they passed it, and they moved forward. Since then, they've actually had the time to read the law that they passed. They've seen the effects of it, and they go, wait a minute, hold on. We might have done something boneheaded here. Maybe... Mm -hmm. Maybe we should actually listen to them. And, and, you know, it's very rare that you have a legislator say those things on a floor and then to not be 100% accurate. Sure. Um, especially when they're talking to another legislator. Um, when they stood up and said, uh, the, the two legislators that authored these in the House and Senate said, you know, this security measure, it's nothing big. We're talking about an ADT-style security system. And I'm standing there with a letter from the, the head guy of ADT in the Midwest saying they can't provide these services and would not meet the requirements to provide the security services. Mm-hmm. You're lying. Right. <laughs> you know, here's the letter. Here's the company saying you're full of it. Uh, and we've been able to get legislators behind that now. They see it. Um, you know, there was a, a member of the, the, the governor's staff that met with us after it had been uh, passed by the legislature and was waiting for his signature, said, yeah, this is a bad bill. I think you guys should sue. 
and we said, okay, well, you know, the governor doesn't have to sign it. He can veto it. And they said, yeah, but it passed with the majority in both chambers. He's yeah. got to sign it. Right. Which is, which is something that we're worried about uh, California know, as well, too, because gov- the governor in California can veto that bill, but if it's going ke- keeps going the way that it is now, it's going to be very hard right. for the governor not to sign. But, okay, let's stop right there real quick. 347-308-8329. Press 1 if you have any questions for Evan McMahon. We're talking to Evan McMahon from Liberation Vape and, of course, the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, so up to this point now, we have this bill. At least now you're starting to organize. I did see the turnouts at the Capitol. I was very impressed. I'll be honest with you. Uh, a great turnout, a great crowd, very re- you know, very respectful. Everybody was dressed really nice. It was, it, to me, you know, I have to give, yeah, I always give credit where credit is due. And I thought that they did a great job with the amount of, of time and, and literally resources that you have. Uh, to, yeah. to to at least get a crowd over there and voice your opinion. We did see through the hearings and when this bill was going through, we did see a lot of people that, that stood up and, and supported this bill that flat out lied. How difficult is it for yeah. you? How Somebody that, that, you know, somebody like me, you're passionate about vaping. How difficult is it for you, and I see this with California as well, to sit there in the audience and listen to literally – Propaganda, fear mongering, lies—just one after the other—standing up in support of this bill. How difficult is it for you being there on the ground? I mean, I'm lucky enough. Well, I don't know if it's lucky uh, to have been doing this for a really long time in in other political arenas. Um, So I pretty much know whenever a legislator opens their mouth, they're either lying to me or picking my pocket or both. Yeah. so I can, I can kind of brush it off, and I know I'm going to get my moment um, to get up there and speak, and I can, you know, quietly uh, and, and with a little pizzazz uh, refute what they said without calling them out. Uh, and let's say speak after me, in which case I get really angry. Um, <laughs> and uh, my, my ears get really red, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not a good scene. Um, but, the, you know, you have to remember that you have to be professional. Absolutely. That if you lash out, if you scream out, if you do anything at all, you just damn the entire industry. Yeah. Any support you have, any allies that you have built that are that are championing for you will abandon you faster than the Titanic. Right. Um, because they don't want to be associated with somebody who is disruptive uh, and, and unprofessional. Um, so I, our, our group... You know, when we the first hearing that we had, uh, which was in the Commerce and Technology in the Senate, um, you know, it was a spur of the moment. We didn't know exactly what day he was going to schedule it until 48 hours beforehand. Mm-hmm. We had 48 hours, and we got almost 300 people at that at that hearing, uh, lighting the halls. It, I mean, it was a sight to see, and people were dressed nice. They were quiet when asked to be quiet. The uh, the state police actually came up to me and they said, "Are you Evan?" And I went, um, maybe. <laughs> Who wants to know? <laughs> said, you're, the, you're the organizer, right? <laughs> and I was like, um, yes. And they said, okay, we just wanted to let you know that we're here in a crowd. Um, we're going to come to you if we have a problem. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm, I'm going to get tased. I'm going to get thrown in jail. <laughs> what are these people going to do? Uh, and they said, so we're going to come to you if we have a problem before anything explains. And I said, sure, no problem. I'm the guy with the cane. I'm really easy to find. Um, at the end of the event, the, the state... Uh, police, uh, I think the captain came up to me and he said, I just wanted to let you know for the size of your group and how emotional this was for you guys, you were very professional uh, and we appreciate that. That's great. That's great. And that was the, that was the motive, modus operandi through the entire thing. 
the very last day, or, or it was one of the days, um, they got called, the bill got called back for what's called second reading. That's when a bill should be doing its final vote, but the legislator decides for whatever reason they're going to pull it back one more time and maybe add an amendment. We were hoping it was going to happen, but just that morning, the senator had said he would refuse it, and it was going for a vote that day. I said to everybody, no matter what happens, no matter what the vote is, don't scream and yell, don't cheer, don't boo, no matter what, be calm. I was turned around talking to somebody when the vote was about to happen, and he called it back for second reading. About 15 minutes later, I'm still standing there going, Jovan, did they skip the bill? And one of the, the uh, shop owners turns and he said, no, they called it back for second reading. And I went, why didn't anybody say anything? And they go, because you told us to be quiet. <laughs> that's great. That's a great and story. And I was like, wow, you were. That's, a, that's a great story. And, and it's extremely important. And I'm going to tell you that one of the things that's happening in California now, you know, you said you had 300 people show up in Indiana. We had 400 people showing in California. With the scope of the industry in California, I'd like to see that 400 number turn into 4,000. And, uh, and again, I'll right. talk about that here in a little bit. But no matter what happens, win or lose, there's two important things that we have to remember here where nobody's talking about. Number one is the more people that show up, it sticks with politicians. The more people that are in that room that are for or against the bill, it sticks to the politicians. So even if they vote for it, that doesn't mean – I mean, you might lose it, but that's not the point. The point is that you showed up and you represented and you voiced your disconcern. And trust me, that sticks with politicians, and it carries a lot of weight, which a lot of people don't give you know enough credit to. I mean, obviously, be a registered voter first, and then second of all, show up. So that's number one. And number two, uh, Evan, it's extremely important to create the relationships that you're talking about because law is made by building these relationships. Law is not made on Instagram. Law is made by right. building relationships with these politicians through a lobby and create a, an open-door discussion that you can sit there and discuss something, and hopefully you'll have a, 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 a resolution that makes all parties happen before the bill even has to go where you have to call 300 Hoosiers to show up at the Capitol. So those two things are extremely right. important, and even though a little bit late in your case, I think that both of those, from my perspective, as I saw it from here, I think were handled pretty good. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not going to name the, the the legislator, but there were there was at least one that I've known for many years. I've uh, worked with them on several pieces of legislation, and when this first popped up, um, you know, passing each other in the hallway, he said, "Evan, I, I see you're with these guys. What's what's the deal? Explain this to me." So even though he, his, his own caucus is is telling him one thing, he wants to come and hear it different from me because he knows I'm involved. Mm-hmm. And we have that relationship of knowing each other for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he knows that I'm going to tell him where, when he's wearing an ugly suit. I'm going to tell him when he's voting on a bad bill. Yeah. Um, and so we have that, that relationship with each other. It doesn't mean we always see eye to eye. As a matter of fact, we disagree on, on several things. And, and, you know, we respectfully fight on it. Mm-hmm. But we have a good relationship and a good rapport with each other to the point where he felt, you know, here's this thing. I'm going to come to you and ask you what's legitimate, what's the truth. Give me all the facts. Yeah. Um, you, you don't get that just because you just showed up right. today. You have to have been there for a while. Right. Um, and so Indiana may have been late to the game um, at that point, but it's never going to happen here again. Right. Um, we did incredibly well. And the shop owners in the state of Indiana, uh, a lot of people don't get to see this because a lot of it was done kind of behind closed doors. 
But there were over 130 vendors across the state who were engaged in daily conference calls, uh, Facebook groups that were private, where we're talking about uh, what we can and can't do, uh, how to organize people at our stores, how to get people active, how to get them, you know, motivated to do something. We had several businesses that rented vans to bring their customers down to the safe house. Uh, we had one day where um, every shop owner that we knew closed their doors for business and put a sign up saying, we're closed today, going to the state house to fight for you. We may never open again, or it was something along those lines. Without yeah. you, without your help, we may never be able to reopen or something like that. Yeah. Um, and every shop owner came and did that. Um, and they brought their employees. Yeah. You know, it was a day of no sales to go in to be at the state house. Um, so the shop owners really came together. And there are shop owners in, you know, small towns that hate each other. Mm-hmm. That I mean, if they saw each other on the street, they'd sooner pee on each other than wave hello. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, here we are now, as this fight's going on, and, and even more so today, and while they're still business rivals, they can shake each other's hand because they're fighting for each other and each other's consumers. All right. And so, so a, a lot of those animosities are gone. All right, so let's get a little, a little bit into the specifics because, I mean, I know we got carried, a little bit carried away, but the purpose of the segment is to really explain what's going on and uh, with laws that have already passed, okay? So let's get the easy stuff out of the way. There were there were portions in the bill that made common sense to everybody, 18-plus, uh, uh, child-proof caps, resist child-proof uh, uh, evident caps, stuff like that. We all agree on that and didn't have any yep. issues uh, agreeing with that as you did. And uh, in those past, right. those are the common sense bills, as I call them. Uh, let's get to the bad stuff. Right. And there's there's a lot of bad stuff in in this bill. Uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff in there that is going to to hurt a lot of the the small operations, or even some even some of the larger operations in even Indiana. Big ones. I mean, large ones. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it it manages to to screw everyone, big and small. Okay, and we're going to get to what you're doing right now, and and hopefully, uh, you know, I'm coming up to Indiana this weekend. I'm looking forward to meeting you, and hopefully, we'll have a good advocacy panel where we sit there and discuss and try to bring these businesses closer, uh, and and, and fight and, and fight uh, and, and 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 join the fight of what you're doing. But before we get to that, let's get to the bill and and, and just pinpoint me some of the stuff that is completely outrageous and how it would deter these businesses from from continuing to operate. So the first thing is, um, in any industry, whether it be firearms, pharmaceuticals, alcohol, fireworks, any regulated or age-restricted industry, every state regulates the manufacturers, retailers, and distributors within their own state. They set their own rules and guidelines for how you operate and how you can do business within that state, right? Mm-hmm. That happens everywhere. What you don't do is tell a manufacturer in another state that this state gets to approve your blueprints, gets to determine what your security measures are, determines what the requirements for your security firm are, gets to do background checks on your employees, tells you what your manufacturing process can and can't be. That doesn't happen in any other industry. In any other state, in any other industry, as an outside manufacturer, you'd agree to certain things, like for tobacco, it's not selling to minors and only going to retailers mm-hmm. or distributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you pay a fee. Yeah. It's, it's the, the Caesar's tax. You pay a fee and you register your business and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Indiana says, no, no, no. We're going to set a national standard 
here's the standard for your manufacturing process, your distribution, for your security measures, for everything. We're going to dictate absolutely every little bit of it for you. And if you don't comply, your product can't be sold in the state of Indiana. Well, it's a violation of the Commerce Clause. Um, you can't set a national standard as a state. Um, you can't ban those products for sale in your state. Um, but they, they did it, and it's very clear in the law. So, I just want to simplify it a little bit. So, basically what you're saying is that companies out of state that are providing e-liquid now to, to shops in the state, uh, the, the Cutwoods, the Space Jams, all those, those companies that are out of Indiana that are shipping product in now would have to comply the standards that Indiana has set on manufacturing e-liquid. You got it. Okay. Because I say that to, I say that to some manufacturers, um, and I actually say it to some multi-million-dollar manufacturers, and they don't believe me. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why they don't believe me. Yeah, well, it's because it's. I mean, I've had I've had attorneys look me dead in the eye and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> right. And I say, okay, have you read the bill? Have you read the law? Right. And they go, well, no, but that doesn't happen. And I said, do me a favor, take five minutes, right. read this line right here, and tell me that that company's exempt. Right. Oh my God! I can't believe Indiana's trying to do that. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> reading, reading is not the, the forte of, of of these people. Anyway, go yeah. ahead, continue. Um, so that's the that's the big one. That's the big kick in the teeth. Can we talk about uh, the standards for, a little bit? Case. Based on that, can we talk about the standards? Yeah. Like, what would an outside yeah. company have to do? Let's say a company says, "Well, I can comply with that law." What does the uh, the law sure. specifically say? Yeah. Huh? Okay, so. You have to have a five-year contract with a security company. Now, that's typically unheard of. In most industries and everything else, when you're required to do something like that, it's typically a one-year contract that you have to show to the regulatory board, and then you, they check sporadically to make sure that you're still maintaining the contract, still maintaining the service. And the security contract is, is an alarm system? Is that what we're talking about? We're talking about an alarm system? Oh, God, if only. <laughs> um, so they would like to like you to think that it was an ADT alarm system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way it started was much worse than this. And we got language clarifying a lot of it. Originally, you had to have a, an armed guard there. Uh, you had to have paying somebody to remote monitor and then watching the video cameras for your establishment from a security company. So yeah, because that's, that's not cheap. Um, so what it is now is, yes, you have to have like an ADT-style security system with uh, fire and burglary monitoring, which means if somebody breaks in or a fire started, ADT gets alerted, and then they call the police. Okay, sure, fine. You shouldn't be telling me what I have to do, but all right, sure. fine, whatever. Then you have what's called the rolling steel fire door technician. <laughs> that sounds like, yes. uh, like military speak to me. So this is a guy who installs hardware on your door that determines whether or not your metal door can meet a burn point over a certain temperature for a certain numbers of hours during a rolling fire. To, to be able to do this, you have to be certified by the International Door and Architecture Institute or something like that. Uh, it's one agency, one group. And to get that certification takes eight years. There are only... Uh, I believe it was 28 people in the state of Indiana that have that certification. Were they part of the sponsoring of the bill? Were they part of the lobbying effort to pass no. this bill? No. Okay. No, we did, we did see that there was a security company that was right. involved. That's why I'm asking. Um, but but not, the, not the door hardware people or okay. anything like that. 
So you also have to have the, the security company also has to have a locksmith on staff. Now, most people will go, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, no big deal. Two problems with that. The first one is the regulatory uh, uh, non-pro or not pro uh, uh, private group that registers the locksmith that was associated with this bill only has 42 members in the, active members in the state of Indiana. Uh -huh. Most of them in Indianapolis. So if you live four hours away in Evansville, <laughs> good luck. Um, on top of that, when we call and you know we sit down with ADT and there's a couple other security companies that provide that type of service, when we talk to them, now this all has to be one contract, one company. They said, well, oh, yeah, we have locksmiths. And I said, you have locksmiths on staff. They're employed by you. And they go, well, no, we, we contract with locksmiths. Right. Well, the law says no portion of the security contract can be done by a third party. They must actually be employees so they, yeah, of they, the security company. They have to draw a paycheck from the company itself and not be contract work. Right. So there's all these little bitty provisions about who the security company has to have. Like they have to have a UL, which is under, under labs. Um, uh, they specialize in certifying electronics, uh, whether or not to meet certain regulations and codes. You have to have this person on staff. Uh, well, ADT doesn't do that. All their electronics are certified by the company that manufactures them for them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of these people have to be on staff. They can't just be contractors. Right. And ADT said, yeah, we can't do that. Um, the other thing that the security firm has to do is they have to go through this checklist of things that they have to certify for you, such as this is a security company, this is ADT, has to certify the proper handling, maintenance, and use of your raw ingredients. That, <laughs> it has to certify the sourcing of your raw ingredients as being safe. So... If a company out in California is making e-liquid, they have to certify the sourcing of the raw ingredients that this California company is using part of the process for them to sell liquid in Indiana. The security company has to do that. The security company has to certify the company that provides you with the raw ingredients. Yes. And are they chemists? I mean, what, what, is, what is the point of them doing I, that? <laughs> When I when we sat down and went over this with a couple of the security companies, they said, you know, we could try to find a way to do all this other stuff. Maybe we could bring a guy in that we hire just for the vape shops for like three months just to sign all these certifications. But we're not certifying your product. We're not certifying your safe right. uh, manufacturing processes. Right. That's not what we do. No one does that. Right. Even the security company that we, we, we saw was potentially uh, pushing parts of this, they don't do that either. Mm -hmm. What company is going to take on the liability of saying how I get my product and how I store it? Right. They're not going to do that. Because right. if, if there's a problem, it comes back on them with the state. Well, you certified this. Right. You said it was safe. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, by the way, we're talking about House so, Enrolled Act uh, number 1432, for those listening on the replay. If you want to download this and, and read it, 16 pages, uh, House Enrolled Act number 1432, just so everybody knows. And don't forget, phone lines are open, 347-308-8329 if you have any questions for Evan tonight. Carry on, Evan. So uh, the next big kind of evil bad in this is uh, the, uh, the three 10-milliliter samples that you have to keep per batch. Mm -hmm. Now... 
at the time, I wasn't doing large batches, so I was kind of like, you know, yeah, this sucks, but I didn't really understand how right, much right. that actually was. Right. Um, I now have seven flavors, five Nick levels, that's 35 products. When I do a batch a week, mm-hmm. I have to keep 35 samples times three. You need a, 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 literally a warehouse. I mean, and, and you're a small company. Imagine yeah. the companies that have 40, 50 SKUs times four times two bottle sizes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then we got we got an exemption for some of the smaller shops, which which hurt some of the larger manufacturers. Sure. Um, if you produce two liters or less per batch, you do not have to retain a sample. Which is kind of like, wait a minute, okay, it's on a smaller scale where you're pro- where you're going to have some sort of inconsistency or some major problem. So this doesn't make any sense. Like it just doesn't make any sense to the to the other companies going. Well, wait a minute, hold on. This is either because you want to maintain security and safety and confirm that the product is safe, or you're just doing it because it seems like a cool thing to do. Right. Um. So, I actually had. Uh, the chairman of ATC, a couple of commissioners, uh, the industry liaison for the ATC, their legal counsel, two reps from the state police, the attorney general's office came in, all toured my facility last week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they're going around seeing some of the manufacturers, and as the chairman of the association, they obviously wanted to come see my space. And I was very welcoming. I, I didn't spit on anybody. Um, I let them come in, made them put on the, secu- the safety gowns to enter the facility and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, we spent most of our time not looking at my process, which is what I thought they were there to see, and more time talking about how bad this bill was. Yeah, that's good. Even they look at it and go, we don't require, you know, other companies like, you know, Pepsi to retain a sample. Right. And could, could you imagine three 10 milliliter samples for every batch? <laughs> that's a lot of soda. And so I showed them... <laughs> I showed them what one week of batching looks like just for me and said, I'm, I'm like a medium-sized company. I'm, I'm between small to medium. There are larger people in this culture, in this state, who they could fill an entire warehouse in a month full of samples. And that's just one month. They have to hold that right. for three years. And I turned to, to the legal counsel there, and I said, and just so you know, the state says I have to put a one-year expiration date on my product, that it can't be sold after one year of manufacturing, which I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I don't think you should be telling me when my product expires. I think, you know, the people who actually make the stuff should tell you when it expires. Mm-hmm. But, okay, you've, you've said that. So if it expires after one year, how are you going to hold me liable for, for however degraded the nicotine is after three years, right. if you try to cite me for that, I'm going to sue you. Right. <laughs> so even they said, you know, it, it, samples shouldn't be required to be held for after until, uh, you know, once, once it reaches that expiration date, that that's a reasonable time. They also don't think that a three mil sample is reasonable. Um, most people who look at this from a logical standpoint go, that's not reasonable. Right. That's just, that's not. Because it's not just the three 10 milliliter samples that I'm keeping, I have to have to keep one or two for myself. Sure. You know, if I want any testing done, if I want to send something out, if I have a problem with anything, I have to, you know, have that for myself as well. So now I have more on top of that just to keep for my own business because I can't use the three that are required by Indiana. Right. 
by the way, here's an so, interesting question so, from the chat to interject uh, briefly. Does did, did anybody check if Monument Vapor, which was behind uh, all this to start off with, can meet the requirements of this law? Did anybody check into that? Yes. So, uh, interesting thing. So, Monument Vapor Company is actually a distributor. They're the ones who distribute all the products to the liquor stores and, and gas stations uh, that they've got as clients because the guy's dad owned Brightpoint, which specialized in telecom devices for gas stations. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, so, Zach Lackett's company, Monument Vapor, who, who brought all of this, also owns Indiana Vapor Company. At the very first hearing... He said that they were producing in Utah, mm-hmm. which is funny because they're registered here in Indiana, and when we looked up their registration for their company, it's actually in his house. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a one-level house. There's no basement. There's no nothing. Mm-hmm. We can find no documentation on the Indiana Vapor Company anywhere in the state of Indiana having a lease, a manufacturing permit, any build-out permits, Nothing. And we looked. I mean, we had, I don't want to say private investigators, but, you know, kind of keyboard warriors who scoured through as many public records as they could find looking for any paper trail for Indiana Vapor Company, which said that they were the largest producer in the Midwest and that they were also manufacturing products in Utah. Mm -hmm. We've not been able to find any of it. Yeah. of course, the people who are getting their products won't tell us where it's shipping from, but we have a sneaking suspicion that it's not even made in the state of Indiana. Yeah, because I had, I had when I was doing the research, I had seen that they had just leased like a ninety-two thousand square feet facility at the time, or one of their subsidiary companies. So it was like all coming together to me, like, oh, these guys are, are prepping to be ready for this law that they're trying to pass. Well, and there was like the lease that was potentially out there, uh-huh. but uh, from what I understand, the lease never went anywhere. Okay, all right. Let's get back to the bill because uh, that's that's the that's the juicy part of this. I just want people to understand, basically, that this is a this is an end for all in the industry uh, in Indiana. If, if if this bill is is uh, is put into play, uh, which which is the date, by the way, that this is going to be enacted. So parts of it went into effect, going to effect this September, and that's the um, tobacco license for retailers, uh, no child, or everything has to have a, a child resistant cap, mm-hmm. camp revenue seal, and no selling to minors. Mm-hmm. All of that goes into effect uh, September 1st, and ATT has actually been really um, uh, supportive. At first, they were giving conflicting information to stores that, that it was going into effect this past July. Uh, and then they, they basically turned to me and said, listen, the law goes into effect July 1st. There's a grace period until September 1st, but we can't say that because technically all the amendment said was we can't enforce the law until September 1st. It's still law as of July 1st. Okay. Same thing with um, the other portions of the manufacturing. It doesn't technically go into effect until July 1st of 2016, right. meaning uh, that's when you have to have your permits by the manufacturer that's when you have to pull any liquid off your shelves that wasn't made by a permit holder. Um, that's the big date, July 1st of 2016. Okay, and, and just to clarify, I know the answer here, but uh, just to clarify for those listening, um, the big tobacco companies and their vapor products are excluded from this. Absolutely, uh, and I want to give a shout-out to our good buddy uh, Brian Spoydick from Enjoy. Sure. He showed up at several of the hearings. 
And uh, it, it's it's uh, I want this playing on you know TV screens everywhere. Um, and I'm sorry to do this to you, Brian. Um, when he stepped in there, he made a point to make sure that every single legislator understood the products that his company sells were exempt, and he said they shouldn't be. If you're going to do this, it has to be for the entire industry. My products shouldn't be exempt. And then he talked about what their products were uh, in the market. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, our products are no different. He said, our products are not satisfying. (laughs) Our products are an impulse buy that gets the person at the gas station to buy a cigalike instead of a pack of cigarettes. And then when they're successful with that for a couple of days, they find their way into a vape shop and they get a product that's actually going to satisfy them. Mm-hmm. They know their place in the market, but they still should be regulated like the rest of us if they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, my hat's off to, to, to Brian Foydick. Yep. That was an amazing thing that he said. Um, we're super happy um, that both himself and Brittany Cushman from uh, National Tobacco mm-hmm. and uh, Greg Connolly from AVA came out several times to, to uh, speak, speak at hearings. They were very helpful. All right, let's get back to the bill. So the other parts that we have, um, you know, you have to put a batch number and an expiration date mm-hmm. on your bottle. Mm-hmm. Most of us are doing something like that anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just clunky how they're making us do it. Um, it'd be it's setting a standard that I'm going to have to have a product, a batch number and a batch uh, date here, and then I have to have a different one for California but I have to keep the Indiana one on the bottle too. And you've got 50 different states telling me how to do it. So it's kind of clunky. Um, but the insidious part of it is originally the bill said that you had to have an optical scan code um, on the bottle that tied into the batch number. Mm-hmm. And we actually were able to find that in 2009, the same thing was proposed for cigarettes. And what it actually is, is it's, it's a... Uh, holographic digitized tax stamp. And the company, Secure Inc., that manufactures it, was peddling it hard in Indiana in 2009 and then again in this session. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was going to cost retailers, manufacturers, it would cost anywhere from one hundred and fifty dollars to $250,000 per unit. Uh, and then it was going to cost retailers about $1,800 to have the devices that they would have to scan to check the codes. And it was going to cost the state somewhere around $11 million to implement. And it was just kind of dropped in like a, hey, no big deal here. It was one line. Um, literally, it was one line. And we discovered what it meant, what it was. We showed the report from where the state Senate had rejected it in 2009 as being too expensive, with serving no real purpose. So in a, that's when we actually called it back to second reading. We thought we had the bill killed because we called that out on the floor. The senator called it back for second reading. They amended it, and they changed it to a QR code. So you have to put a QR code on your bottle that, that links to a website at the ATC's discretion to verify your batch code, yeah. to verify that the code that's printed on the bottle is correct. Well, if I can think the batch code printing on the bottle as a bootleg e-liquid maker, can't I just, you know, copy the QR code sure. too? Sure, Like. And printing them at the same time, so it doesn't make any sense at all, but it, it makes it more expensive. Um, it makes it harder to do, and it just makes it 
harder for other companies to enter into the game. It's and among other things, things that- sure. And among other things, uh, Evan, what I have to bring up here is that we're talking about a state now that is taking above federal regulation standards for a product in their state, number one. And number two, that even if the FDA does make a ruling and drops the deeming rule now or September or next year or two years from now, it will not change the law mm-hmm. in Indiana. I mean, the FDA uh, regulations will not oversee the regulations in Indiana. So whatever passes now is pretty much stuck there. Uh, I mean, we, uh, I probably shouldn't say this if there's a legislator listening, but, um, you know, we've talked to a couple other attorneys and looking at the 2009 uh, Tobacco Control Act and part of the, the preemption clause, some of this stuff, um, unless it's identical to what the FDA says, it wouldn't be able to go above what the FDA says. Um, so some of this stuff would, would probably go away. Not a lot of it, but a good portion of it, at, at least to the very uh, not determining blueprints and things like that would, would go away. Um, ingredients, restrictions, we have that. That, wouldn't, that would go away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the other things that people don't, don't realize is that they put in what ingredients you can have. Mm-hmm. in your e-liquid in Indiana. Not what you can't have, which is what we argued, which was, listen, you don't understand this industry. You don't know what these products are. Why don't you just say you can't put drugs in? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> which is what you're going for. Right. You know, you just say you can't put anything that's under Indiana Code uh, 35, sure. which is the drug, uh, drug laws. Okay, we can't have any of that in. Great. We don't want that anyway. I don't want to go to prison because somebody wants to get hot. Sure. I'm sorry. I just, I don't like prison. I don't think I would do well there. Um... But no, instead they said, no, 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 we're going to tell you what you can put in here and any other ingredient that's not uh, VGPG nicotine or FDA-approved food flavorings or distilled water, anything that's not those has to get approved by the Board of Pharmacology. From the Board of Pharmacology? Well, the Board of Pharmacology, <laughs> yeah, the Indiana Board of Pharmacology, who absolutely will never approve any ingredient. Right. It will never happen. So, you know, I, I don't know what other ingredients you could put in there. I know there are people putting stuff in there. Uh, I'm not going to say one way or the don't other. Don't you know that powerful, uh, that powerful CBD uh, snake oil that everybody's selling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, you've got that, which actually is illegal with Indiana anyway. But um, even even if it's made from hemp, if you call it CBD, right. people it's right. labeling it as a lookalike. It's illegal in Indiana. Right. But anyway... Um, so that's, that's one of the issues. And I've, I've dealt with several vendors, um, you know, stores have people call me, uh, you know, we have the convention coming up. Those vendors call me when they, when they, when they're not sure about something. And I tell them, look, yeah, you have caffeine in your e-liquid. You can't sell it in Indiana. Um, as of July 1st of 2016, it's contraband. It has to be destroyed. Um, help us fight this because a, a senator who has no medical training, knows nothing about this industry, is not a chemist, knows absolutely nothing, is telling you what you can and can't put in your e-liquid. Mm-hmm. They're making a, a determination about what's safe and what's not safe with having absolutely no background in it whatsoever. Yeah. All right. Anything so, else on the bill that's really outrageous? I, I really want to pull the outrageous stuff out. That's, that's the, the, the main goal. Just get the, Some of the minor stuff that's there, you know, I, I can deal with, with some of the stuff. But the, the outrageous stuff is really, really beyond. Just, just to give us hope that this would per- end e-liquid as we know it in Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, if you if you like uh, companies that manufacture outside of the state of Indiana, if you like Cutwood, if you like Thompson Fog, if you like Suicide Bunny, if you like Looper, if you like any of that, guess mm-hmm. what? If you don't step up and help us beat this back, yeah. you're not going to be able to get it anymore. Because right. those companies, yes, they're making lots of money in Indiana. Right. But let me tell you something. Even though the permit only costs $500 for a, for a five-year permit, guess what? Without, excuse me, $1,000 for a five-year permit, they're not going to hand over authority to the state of Indiana to tell them how to do business. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you right now, if Illinois tried to do that to me, here the Hoosier, I just I wouldn't tell them in Illinois anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give the state of Illinois authority over my employees, my, my warehouse, and my process. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do it. Those big companies aren't going to do it either. I understand. Um, so... And they're they're trying to help, but you know they've got fifty states and the federal government they're battling too. We need people here in Indiana to step up and help us fight. And I think a lot of people are. They're they're starting to get wind. They, the saddest thing in the world was the first month after the governor signed the bill. How many messages and Facebook posts we got asking what they could do to get the governor to veto it. Mm-hmm. And like, well, he signed it a month ago. Yeah. Where are you? You're pissed off now. Thanks. Right. right. Well, that's that's generally the attitude of vaping, though, Evan. Everybody doesn't do anything until something passes, and they're like, God damn it. What are we going to do now? Well, yeah. guess what? <laughs> it's a little bit too late for that. But I, I, you know, I, 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 one thing that I have to agree with you, one, of the, one thing that I, have, that I think that we have failed uh, as an industry is have the multinational distributions um, fund us. I don't want to put it as a separate lobby, but I think that the national mm-hmm. distributors should have a federal lobby that represents them to be able to go into states, kind of like Enjoy has Pamela and Brian, and they've kind of split the two states. Right. I think that right. the, the distributors all together should come together. Uh, we're talking about national brands that distribute to every state and have a federal lobby to come in and help you in a situation like that and to put money into there because right. it's – you know, I mean, I don't know figures of what Cutwood and whatever the other companies are moving into the state, but I'm assuming that it's it's a it's a good it's a, it's a good chunk of change that you should be able to protect right. your right to do business in the state. And guess what? The only way to protect your right to do business is a lobby. <laughs> That's the only way you can do it. There's no other way to do it in the United yeah. States of America. Plain and simple. But yeah. we, we we have failed. We have failed to do it to 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 create something like that. And again, it's a baby industry. I get it. But at this point. We're talking about multi-million and even billion-dollar businesses that should that should step up and take care of that and put money into the Indiana fight with it with the, the lawsuits that you, that you have coming up. Let me tell you, I'm I'm not a big I'm not a big company. I'm I'm pretty small. You know, I'm not going to lie. I struggle every day. Uh, I have to pick and choose where I'm going to go and what I'm mm-hmm. going to do. But if any state right now said we need help, and and we've been talking about this in Indiana with with our vendors. Um, I will get on a plane out of my own pocket and go help um, because I, I have experience in the fight. Uh, I know how to lobby. I know what to say. I know how to stick to talking points. I can help you. I can teach you how to get people to, you know, one of the things we're doing with our association is we're teaching people now how to be engaged with the legislators in your district. Huge problem. Huge you have problem your representative. Totally agree. You Huge have, problem. You have to engage them there. If they're doing a golf outing, go. <laughs> if they're doing a town hall, go. Don't go to, you know, piss all over the parade. Go to say, hey, you know, Senator, it's nice to see you, you know. And you can joke around and you can sure. have a good time. Sure. 
they need to like know you. Like you. They need to know that we're an industry that's professional and that, you know, we're there. And that we're not just sitting around waiting for crap to fall on us. Um, so, you know, you have to go to these things. You have to be locally engaged. You have to engage the mayor. You have to know who your city councilor is, right. that your business is in their district. You have to know that. Right. You have to be, they have to know that there are 15 people working for your shop right. and that those people are going to be unemployed if they do this. Right. I did so we're, see- we're teaching that and how to be that, how to get that engagement. Um, and another lobbyist from some of these other big companies, you know, having that national lobby, they can go into places and teach people how to do that. Sure. And, 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 and listen, though, Evan, we're doing it. But listen, let me tell you, uh, John had a, a point in the chat that said we need to create a book for people to learn how to fight. That's a training manual. I think that's a great idea, by the way, John. I think that is a fantastic idea. But up to now, what we have been doing right now, I'm going to give, give you two books that if you want to be an activist and you want to know how to fight, uh-huh. These are the two books that I recommend to anybody who wants to be a campaign manager. There's the Wellstone Method for Politics. Mm-hmm. It's actually a workbook, and it was um, written by Paul Wellstone, who was a, the congressman that died in the plane crash a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm, 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 most people know me. I'm a libertarian. I'm very conservative. The two books I'm giving you are from basically socialists, mm-hmm. so take that into account. So there's that one, uh, the Wellstone Guide to Politics and Campaigning. Uh, the the next one is Rules for Radicals by Stalonsky. Yeah. That is by far how do you build a local movement and create a political machine within your community and within your industry to take on the political establishment. If you can, Rules if you radicals. can uh, get a second later to type that after we get done with the segment in the chat, or send me uh, send me exactly the books. I'll put it in the chat for the people that want to. Google that and pick it up. Please do that as well, too. Um, but what I, what the point that I wanted to get to, and I, I know this is this is kind of sidetracking again, but I think it's important. I think the idea of the books and all that, I think that's a fantastic idea. But the only way we've been doing that right now is if you go to meets, if you go into expos, there are people there like Brian, like Pamela, like Gregory, that engage people in the advocacy talk. And, and I've heard Pamela personally say this in many events where she talks about engaging politicians, going to the birthday parties, into the golf course and all that, learning on how to create that relationship. And some people think that, hey, the expos are all about just getting the freebies, but they're not. The advocacy yeah. sessions are important. If if you can stop for two freaking minutes uh, of, of waving your hands to get a free 50-meal bottle of juice and listen to what the people have to say or just, you know – don't have advocacy sessions so, at all. Stop it. Stop it. It just bugs I the hell out of me. I was, a, I was a vendor in New Jersey at the New Jersey Bay Expo, uh-huh. and I'm not going to talk much about that. Yeah, um, we let Russ do that. And I, was asked, I, was, I was asked to, to help uh, to be on the advocacy panel with uh, Robin and Joe and you know a bunch of great people. And um, JT was there, and he can tell you how devastating it was. This was during the business-to-business day. And there were 12 people at that panel. And I was just, I was actually angry at them, uh, as, as they call me here in Indiana. It's when my face is bright red, my ears are red, yeah. and I'm ready to just walk out or, or throw something at someone. And I said into the microphone, you know, I've got some bad news for you. This will be the last year for the New Jersey Expo. And it's because you people won't come over here and listen. Yeah. Because you people won't come over here and engage. Because all you care about right now, and this is a business-to-business uh, these are the vendors. All you care about right now is scoring the best price for your product. We're trying to help you keep your business alive, and you don't care. 
And it's the same thing on the consumer side. The next day, there was a consumer panel. No one cared until the girl came out to throw out the T-shirts. Right. You know, but as soon as the cloud pump started, everyone was there for that. And it's priorities. Cool, I understand. Uh, we got to go out. Yeah, you know, you got to go up singing. You've got to have a good time. But come on. Right. Right. You know, I think there's a place and time for everything. I think certainly you should have the cloud competition and the giveaways and all the fun time. Absolutely. But this is the only way this industry can reach people is through these expos, especially the big ones that have the twenty and 25,000 people that go through them. This is a perfect opportunity for right. us to step up and educate some people. This is what I don't get when you people know, say, well, I'm going to go to an expo. No, you're not going to an expo. You're going to a fucking par- a frat party is what you're doing and admit that that's what it is. Don't tell me. Don't cover up and tell me that and use the advocacy to legitimize your fucking event. Right? Just say it's a party. What are you calling it an expo and we're going to have advocacy panels and we're going to do good for the industry? Well, fuck you. It's bullshit. You know, the Romans were literally at the gate at that expo. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the, the senator was in the lobby and everybody knew it and no one would come and listen. Right. And it was just, it was so infuriating. Because I'm, I'm not kidding. If any state called me today and said, Evan, would you come and help? Would you come and speak? Would you come and work with some of our vendors? Mm-hmm. Everyone in my state knows I would say, I'm hopping a plane today. I'll figure out how I'm going to pay for it tomorrow, but I'm going today. Yeah. Um, and I'll be damned if I'm going to go and do that for 12 people right. in, a, in, a, in a venue that has over 600 people milling around. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I want to say, Evan, is, you know, I, I took a decision this year uh, along with Field to kind of pick and choose the events. And, and I committed that I'm not going to attend an event that is not serious about advocacy. And, in fact, the event that's coming up, Vaping the Fort, this weekend, uh, talking to the organizers, I said, I'll come. But Indiana is at a critical standpoint right now in this industry. I'll come if we can have a serious advocacy discussion. That's the only reason why I committed to come to Indiana. Uh, and, and I'm only yeah. going to support the events that are really putting in the time and the effort and put the money where their mouth is to support that state and the various issues that it's having. I just want to put that note out there. Okay, right. so we have this bill. I think we've pretty much – I mean, there's a lot of other portions to the bill, but I think what we've given, we've given the overall picture that this bill is bad. This is the end of the industry in Indiana. So now this right. bill got enacted. What are you doing now? Personally, I've heard that there's two lawsuits going on. I would just want some clarity and see where everybody needs to put their support and even out-of-state vendors that might be listening that want to help. How can we help Indiana? So what we're doing right now is a multi-tiered plan. Um, they can't go a whole lot into I understand. It, but I'm going to give you some of the broad strokes. One thing that we're doing is we're getting political. And when I say political... Our, our association is forming a political action committee Perfect. to support candidates that support vaping. Um, the candidates, the, the legislators that spoke up for us, and I, I want to mention something about that too, but the candidates, the legislators that spoke up and fought for us in the legislature will have our support. We're going to have financial support for them, and we're going to ask people to go out and canvas for them and, and help them maintain their seats. That's how laws um, made. And we're going to go out and defeat those who fought against us. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Mm-hmm. We have to support their, the opposition, yeah. uh, you know, to our opposition. The, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and to that point, one of those legislators is going to be at Vape of the Fort, and I want you to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Senator Brent Waltz. Senator Waltz is a strong advocate for us uh, in the state Senate. He spoke on our behalf several times. It was a no vote on uh, 1432. Um, now, 
He is leaving his state Senate seat, unfortunately. Damn it. He'll be in the session this year, but he's, he's, he's not going to be in the state Senate again after 2016. Now, the reason for that is because he's running for Congress. Mm-hmm. He's running for the U.S. Ninth, uh, the Indiana 9th District. Now, you know, he's been our supporter. He's been our ally. So, of course, we're going to give him a little bit of support. Sure. Um, and a little bit of money. It's a federal race. Yeah. Now, remember I mentioned the name earlier? Greg Zoller, uh-huh. the Attorney General. This is the guy who still to this day continues to put out press releases and write letters condemning the e-cigarette industry and the vaping industry. Mm-hmm. He is actually on the National Attorney General, uh, Attorney General, Generals, whatever it is, uh, board. He is the chairman of the Tobacco Control Board. He hates us. He thinks we should be. He actually made a statement about um, that the uh, vaping industry needs to have a class action lawsuit against it by all the states, just like the tobacco industry did. That way, they can take all of our profits and hold them in case people get sick. Thirty years from now, this is this is the attorney general. The attorney general, Greg Zoller, and Senator Brent Walsh are running against each other in the primary in the ninth district. Mm-hmm. So we've got a choice. We can put as much support as possible. And by the way, in this district, if you win the primary, it's not a guarantee, but it's pretty much a guarantee yeah. that you're going to be a congressman. Right. So we've got the guy who's fought for us and spoken for us, or we've got the guy who wants to put us all out of business right. and has spent the past year fighting for that. Right. So he's going to be at Bay from the Fort. He's going to be meeting people and talking to them and mostly just trying to find out... Um, What's going on at the federal level, being more versed on that, finding out more about each individual facet of the industry from the consumer all the way up to the large manufacturers. Mm-hmm. He wants to know how regulations stifle them. Mm-hmm. So really good guy. But So that's one thing that we're doing. We're getting political. Okay. The second thing that we're doing is we're doing our summer lobbying, and that's going to golf outings. Uh, my company sponsored a golf outing for a senator, uh, state senator, Several other companies that did the same. We've had multiple legislators that we've gone and supported. We've gone to town hall meetings and listened. We've been engaging, as well as letting them know, here's the bill that happened. Here's the stores that have already closed. Here's the companies that have said they're moving out of state. Here's the jobs that have been lost. We told you this would happen. Here's the amendments we presented before. Here's how they make sense now. Mm -hmm. We're already getting positive reception from that. Um, We're planning our strategy for uh, the next session, which starts in, starts in January. It's a, a short session. It'll end in the middle of March. Mm-hmm. Um, we're already planning that legislative action. Not only are we going to be fighting uh, probably a couple of bills, but we're also going to make sure that we're introducing some of our own. Um, so you have that. And then today, uh, as you may have seen on Facebook, uh, on uh, the Fusion Vapors uh, Facebook page, there's a nice little photo of me as the chairman. Yep in a conference room with an attorney, a checkbook, my vapor flask, and I'm signing some documents. Mm-hmm. That was us signing our contract with the law firm to move forward with our lawsuit. Fantastic. Now, I know you can't speak yes. very specific on the lawsuit, so I'll just speak, and Correct. then you can agree or disagree. <clears throat> my thought initially when I heard this was, would it be better to sue to push back the enactment date simply because the way that it stands now, if you could prove that it would put all these businesses out of business, you had a better chance. And if you do get an extension, 
uh, if that's possible, by the way, I don't know. I'm not an attorney. You, you know better than me. If, if it's possible to get an extension, it'll give you more time to organize something even more aggressive against this bill. Is that possible or not? Um, yes and no. Kind of what you're looking for is uh, what's called a preliminary judgment um, or a preliminary injunction. Mm-hmm. Some form of injunctive relief. And basically what it is is you're saying... Listen, we're likely to win our case, which could take up to two years. Mm-hmm. We are likely to win this case when it's resolved. So we want the court to bar the state from enforcing any of these statutes until this case is, is finalized. Mm-hmm. So you have that. We're not anywhere near that stage of the game yet. Okay. Uh, we have to be a few more steps into the process. Um, and there's, there's a Kentucky lawsuit as well. They're not to that step either. Uh, when I say, that's what we call it here in Indiana because it was initiated by companies in Kentucky. Um, but it's a federal lawsuit. Um, it's uh, the attorney on that case, uh, Greg Troutman, he's been in contact with our attorney. I've talked to him several times. Um, it's a very decent case. We, we weren't very happy with the timeline for when it happened, but they've got some really good, strong arguments in their federal case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good brief. If you have the chance to, you should read it. Okay. Um, they have their timeline that's being set by the court right now, the federal court. Um, they're not to that point where they can petition for that really yet either. If you do it too soon, you, you risk having you, you risk losing that argument. Okay. Um, so you have to wait a little while in the process to kind of push that forward, which is basically saying, hey, the deadline's coming. We think we're going to win this sucker you should bar the state from enacting it or enforcing it until this is done. Um, how successful that is, it's honestly, you can have a really strong case for it, and it just depends on the limb of the judge. Mm-hmm. Because it, really what it comes down to is literally the precedent is, does the judge think you could win your case? Is it highly likely or more probable that you will win than lose? Okay. If so, they put in that 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 restriction against the state. Let me ask if you, not, Evan, you move forward. Can, 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 I know there's two separate lawsuits. Can those lawsuits be consolidated at some point? Because I know that happens a lot. Uh, can those lawsuits fall under one, uh, one court and one jurisdiction? Um, I can't say that they are or that they will, but, but I can say that they can. Okay. Um, right. That's what I wanted to, I, to know it's, if it's, it's possible. Right. It's not anything that anybody sets out to, to do or to plan to do. Um, it literally becomes the court saying, hey, we have these two cases that may be very similar, um, which there would be similarities to our cases. We do have some different issues, um, both on the federal and state level. Um, so it's, it's possible that a court could do that. Um, it does happen a lot, especially if things are exactly the same. I mean, I, I was involved in a federal lawsuit against the Federal Election Commission representing the Libertarian Campaign Committee, and our cases, there, were, there was also one, the, a very similar case filed by the Republican Party, and our cases almost got merged. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's very likely to happen. Uh, it could happen. Um, but we both have to kind of move forward like it's not, like, like it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're looking at this lawsuit, my biggest fear is running out of money. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. That's a huge fear. It's That's it's a huge it's, fear. It's, I'm going to tell you, we had our we had our board meeting. Um, our second quarterly board meeting was this past Sunday, and the only reservation that people really have towards the lawsuit is, 
can we fully fund it? Right. Can we fund this? Right. Because if you run out of money and you have to stop your case, that's worse than losing. Absolutely. Because your enemies see you as weak and that, they, that you can't actually fight back. So it's, it's a huge political risk that you take by filing a lawsuit. Yeah. Um, but if you're successful, if you can fund it, if you can continue to move forward, you tell your, your opponents, you're not scaring me. Right. I'm going to fight you all the way to right. the death. And anybody who knows me knows that I am to the last gasp death. Right. And, and, and prime, um, prime example is the Soterra case because a lot of people think that Enjoy uh, rescued vaping back in that case, but the lawsuit started by Smoking Everywhere. It wasn't started by Enjoy, but Smoking Everywhere ran out right. of money. It ran out of steam halfway through the lawsuit, and Enjoy stepped in and took over and funded the rest of it in order to win it. If it wasn't for Enjoy stepping in, that case, would it would have been really bad for, for vaping at the time. So that's my biggest right. fear, and that's why I want to get support for this. Uh, if, if people want to join the effort, whether they're in the state of Indiana, whether they're out-of-state vendors, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead a movement past vape, vape in the Ford to try to fund this as well, too, uh, nationwide, speaking to, to a lot of my friends in the industry. But if people want to join the fight and they want to contact you, they want to get into this, find, it help you, even if it's just financially, just one check to support the effort, how can they do that? How can they get in touch with you? There, there are multiple ways. You can visit us on our Facebook page, uh, you know, Hoosier Vapors. That's E-R-S, D-A-P-E-R-S, Hoosier Vapors. Um, you can also visit our website, HoosierVapors.org. Mm-hmm. Um, we're having a little issue right now with our credit card processor. It keeps switching into test mode every time we put it into the live mode, so we're not actually able to take credit cards uh, on our website right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email me, chair at HoosierVapors.org. Um, Everybody can tell you I'm pretty receptive. I answer questions and phone calls pretty quickly. Um, I just don't sleep. Um, you can get involved in any level that you feel comfortable with. Uh, one of the things that I can't say exactly what it was or how much it was, but, you know, we had that trepidation at this, at this board meeting this past Sunday. And by the end of the board meeting, we had raised um, a little less than half of the lawsuit funding. And it's a pretty substantial amount of money. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and we need, and we, we need to keep it going because you never know. Here. You never know with attorneys what uh, you know special bills will pop up <laughs> that's going to show up in the mail. Right, and, and, right. and one of the things that I was trying to say about the big events, um, like ECC, ECC, which has the premier, the creme de la creme, the the all these national vendors attending there, they pay so much money. You know, to me, it would make sense right there. You have this event, have the event say, "Hey, listen." We're having this event. We have here the top premier distributors in the country. Let's take $50,000 from here and give it into Because these are the – you can take it and add it to the booth. $500 on these big booths, boom, we have $10,000, 30000 50000 Let's yeah. take this money and do it on a case-by-case basis. Who needs our help right now? Indiana, boom. Here, let's right. give them a check. And we're going to do this entire event, and we're going to raise money for to help this cause because this is going to help the distributors that are part of my event – Continue to do business in Indiana and continue to prosper, so I can have them next year at another event. And it seems yeah. like you know, I don't. Like, is that unreasonable? Well, like like uh, Vapor Lafort, um, which you know I'm really looking forward to sitting down with you and uh, having some chats. Um, you know, this weekend. Sure. Vapor Lafort. Chris Lewis has pledged the proceeds raised from Vapor Lafort are going to be going to Hoosier Vapors and to the uh, vaping militia. Yep. yep. Um, when you walk in, and this was, this was true for last year's, or, or February, when you walk in, the very first booth, while you're waiting to go in, the very first booth is the vaping militia. You have to stand in line and talk to Joe 
and Robin. Oh, <laughs> but Lord. this year, you have to stand in line and talk to Joe and Robin. Robin's a, a, a sweetheart. Uh, uh, she's a wonderful person. Sorry, I saw her in Vapenville sorry, this past Joe. weekend. But if, if Joe starts drinking, uh, that line will be around the building. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but then this year, you also have to talk to uh, Joe and Robin and myself and the rest of the crew for Hoosier Vapors because we've got a booth right across from Fantastic. us. There's also a huge advocacy tent that was set up to house the discussions and to continue socializing and to continue the advocacy outreach through the entire event. It's not just a one-time you know, there's going to be a panel, but then we also have this place set up to continue to do education and outreach events. We're going to be registering yeah. people to vote. Who's your vapors? We've got, um, you know, uh, Matthew Hagerman, the master engraver. He's donated two mods for us to help us raise money, and they're sexy. Let me tell you, they're sexy. Mm-hmm. We have a, uh, you know, sponsor a smoker. Uh, if you come to the Who's Your Vapors booth and you bring somebody who's smoking and they give us their pack of cigarettes, we're going to give them a starter kit and a bottle of liquid from the giveaway table, and then we're also going to give you a freebie from the freebie table because you brought that, that smoker. I also, I, I also want to shout uh, out for that because that was my idea. So I'll put that out there. It, you failed to mention that. Uh, my company doesn't. <laughs> we, you know, since June, uh, I've given away 15 kits through my company. Um, you know, anytime I see somebody that wants to stop fantastic, smoking, fantastic. I give them a kit. And I give him a bottle. I can't. And I, I tell can't. Him to keep coming back. I know. I know. I, I know a lot um, of people do it in the industry. It's just. It's. It's just nice to see that. I know JT is going to be spearheading that as well too over there. It's beautiful. I want to see every shop do it. Mm-hmm. I want to see every vendor do it. Uh, we had vendors here in Indiana um, that I went around today and collected starter kits from them. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, they donated starter kits so that we can give them out to smokers at Vape in the Fort. You know, if you register to vote. Verify your reg- voter registration if you're already uh, registered or update your registration if it's last. We're going to enter you into a contest to yeah. get a bunch of cool presents. So, you know, we're taking that. We know you want free crap. Yep. We know you want it. Here's the deal. Yep. You do this, we're going to give you free crap. You don't just right. get free crap because you're right. standing by the, right. by the stage swimming and yelling. You have to actually right. register to vote. You actually have to sign up to be at least an associate member. You have to, you know, you have to take steps in the game to fight to protect your own industry. Absolutely. And by doing that, we're going to give you a freebie. By the way, that's how, that's, how, that's how I started my speech at Vapenville this past weekend. Uh, my speech started uh, in the following manner. I know you're here for free shit, but you're going to have to listen for five minutes what I got to say. That's exactly how I started my, my, my speech. As soon as I said that, everybody's like, yeah, fuck yeah, free shit. But uh, anyway, I, 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 I kid, I kid. But it's, it's, it's great to see an event step up and do that. And I wish more of these big national events that are making millions of dollars, I wish they would step up and help states individually because all it does is it helps the events and it helps the, the, the national distributors as well too. They might not see the bigger picture now because we only have one or two states that are doing this. But guess what? California's right around the block. Bad legislation coming to other states this year. We know that ahead of time. If you're in the political circle, you can you know keep an eye on what's going on in other states. And so it's extremely important to fight these and beat them in a state while we're pending federal regulation. It makes absolute sense to me. All right. I got I got I got I got I got I got to tighten this up. All right. What else do you want to add? Um, you know, they on shop local, support local. Um, get isn't involved. That a, isn't that a if great hashtag by the way? Association? Yeah. 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 If you don't if you don't have the state association, if you don't have a group there, guess what? You are somebody, it's time for you to stand up and form it. Yes. It doesn't just happen because, you know, somebody else is going to do it. Right. Yeah, if you're waiting right. on somebody else, it's never going to happen. I can't stress that enough. 
get active, get engaged. Don't be afraid to go and talk to a politician either. Right. They're, they may think they're gods, but at the end of the day, they're still mostly human. I mean, they're like, you know, evil slime lords, but they're still kind of human. Yes, <laughs> a little bit. There's got to be some kind of a heartbeat and a bloodstream in them. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for breaking down the law in Indiana. Really, really bad deal. Um, and I wish you success and look forward to meeting you uh, up there at Vape in the Fort this weekend, my friend. Thank you, sir. Same here. And uh, thanks again, man. Anytime. Day, anytime. My platform is always open for you guys. All right, there he goes, everybody. Evan McMahon from Hoosier uh, Vapors up there in Indiana, breaking down the lobby right back. This is the one and only Glitzy Flitzy, and you are listening to the Greek god of sexiness, Dimitri. Hey folks, P. Bissardo, the Greek lover is in the house. You're listening to Dimitri on Smoke Free Radio. I had to get some Nick in me. There's uh, uh, no, no doubt about that. By the way, I don't know if you hear this. It sounds like a cardo, but I'm actually vaping on the Bukaki. No, the Kabuki. Kabuki tank by, by Zen. And if you remember, I had Zen on the show a few weeks ago, and we talked about smokers, and he suggested the Kabuki. And again, on a recommendation of other friends, I ordered a couple of Kabuki tanks, one for me and one for my wife. Uh, and I can give you a 30-second review, okay? Good quality craftsmanship. Uh, nice tank, comes with a, a press-fitted drip tip, uh, a Pyrex glass, you know, all stainless steel, good quality, but American-made. Uh, really nice airflow adjustment. It uses the Aspire Nautilus BVC coils. Um, I actually have a coil here that is the old version that doesn't have cotton inside, one of the original BVC coils, um, which, which I really like using it. And my wife likes using it as well, too. Uh, drawbacks, very small capacity. The tank came in the bottom base... Uh, it, it unscrews the field just like you would a, a Spire Nautilus, was completely stuck. So I had to get literally uh, rubber pliers to to unscrew the tank and and uh, and fill it up, and uh, which was a huge huge turnoff for me. And I'm I'm going to tell you here in a second why. Uh, the fact that you have to unscrew the bottom tank and fill it up now these days with all the top filling tanks again is that's a, that's a little bit of annoying. But I'm not going to fault it. I'm trying to justify the price. The price is around eighty bucks. I think I got them both for like hundred forty five dollars with a coupon code. Whatever, it doesn't make it. I'm trying to justify the price. You know, when I make a when I make a decision where I'm going to recommend something, I have to justify the price. I'm trying to justify that $75, $80 price, and I'm having a hard time because we're talking about smokers, right? You want to give a tank to a smoker? If a smoker needs pliers to open up the tank when it comes from somebody that they bought it to, that's a big turnoff. And prime example, like I've said here in the past many times, my wife. As soon as I gave this to my wife... She said, uh, uh, "I don't like it." I mean, you can't. She can't unscrew the bottom base. Yeah, after you get it open and you lube it, I, how can you tell this to a smoker? This is my point that I'm trying to make. Otherwise, it vapes great. I'll be honest with you, uh, and, and I'm always honest when, when I'm talking about uh, these products. Um, it vapes really good. I like the fact that it takes Aspire and all those tanks. It looks really good too. It looks like a really nice, you know, expensive tank, uh, but it does have a few things. Which, by the way, my constructive criticism, I relate it to Zen. 
and uh, and he hasn't killed me yet. So I guess that's a good thing. All right, moving on. We have to talk about briefly about California. Uh, again, the health committee yesterday passed it uh, as it was expected. One thing that I have to 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 just make sure that you guys understand that this bill passing this stage was totally ex- expected. Uh, we had almost 400 people from the industry show up there yesterday, including representatives from the Sfada California chapters. A lot of business owners, a lot of vapors uh, went and and testified uh, that they opposed to the bill. 400 people, that is probably the biggest number that I've seen out there in California. I would like to see that number be 4,000 simply because a, a quick search on Yelp revealed, this is a, a data from about four months ago, uh, almost 1,900 shops in California. I know that's not an accurate number. There's got to be more shops that are either not on Yelp or haven't taken, you know, some northern or southern, you know, if you get away from the the uh, really connected to social media shops there in California. So I'm going to say an average, I'm going to say 2,000, which it should be, it's way more than that, but I'm going to say 2,000. Not including manufacturing and distributors, which California has the majority of in this country. Uh, two employees from each store is, is, is 4,000 people right there. Just two employees. Now, but take this into consideration. Every store has a cons- consumer database. I mean, you're going to have a couple of thousand customers per store, if not more. Um, again, I'm taking the worst case scenario. If you reached out to your customers and got 1% from them as well, too, here we go. We've got another 20 people that can show up. We can take these numbers and make them into 10,000. Does that sound too much? Well, if you take in consideration that more than 25,000 people went through ECC, having 10,000 people show up at Sacramento is not a far reach, un, you know, unrealistic plan. And again, even if we know the predetermined outcome, just like we did in Indiana, just like we did yesterday in California, even if you know that these elected politicians, if they see 10,000 people out there, I guarantee you it's going to be embedded and tattooed in their in their their shitty ass small brains. It will be. It's going to make a huge impact. I came across this document that I want to share with everybody uh, from the treasurer uh, in California. This is a report on tobacco bond insurance in California that is based on the Master Settlement Agreement. Treasurer.ca.gov front slash CDIAC front slash reports front slash tobacco dot PDF for those of you listening to the replay. It basically breaks down why this bill is going through. This is exactly why this bill... This is not about the kids. This is not about the kids. This is not about protecting anybody. Four major U.S. tobacco companies a select group of states and territories signed the MSA, which is the Master Settlement Agreement. This was signed back in 1998. It's the largest civil settlement in the United States history. It came from about 40 lawsuits by various states to recover costs associated with medical services for smoking-related diseases. Under this agreement, the major tobacco companies provide the selling states with $246 billion over a 25-year period. A number of governments in California, like those in other settling states, have securitized the tobacco payments by issuing bonds repaid from the proceeds of the settlement. The issue briefs, this is exactly what this report uh, the terms of the MSA and California's relevant legislation. Uh, if you look at, a little bit further into this report, it clearly says that California and New York receive um, the largest share of funds, 12.7% and 
respectively, for each one of these states. So almost 25, a little over 25% of the settlement goes to these two big states. What kind of money we're talking about? In 2007, California received $745 million in tobacco settlement funds. Of this amount, the state received $400 million for... Um, uh, the state received $400 million and local agencies received about $345 million. This is back in 2007. Some of the bonds that they have out there, one of the largest bonds, almost $13 billion. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not a security analyst. I am not a, a, a doctor. I'm not a lawman. I, I'm just a vapor. I can read into this exactly what it's saying. And do you know what it wants to say? That when you're issuing these bonds, there are some risks. And what are these risks? Bankruptcy of the participating tobacco companies. I don't think that's ever going to happen by the big four. Reductions in U.S. consumption below current projections. Even though they have made an assumption that there will be some decline in smoking, those predictions might be conservative. This is in the report. (laughs) When this report was written... They predicted some people might quit smoking, but it didn't concern the funds that they were receiving. Loss of market share to non-participating companies. The four major participating manufacturers could experience a decrease in tobacco revenues if faced with increased competition from tobacco manufacturers, not part of the MSA. Guess who that is? Us. We are the biggest competitor for big tobacco now. Why? Because people are quitting to smoke. A decrease in revenues if participating manufacturers' tobacco sales could decrease. In conclusion, the issuance of tobacco securitization bonds is unique in that U.S. states and territories will be receiving tobacco settlement funds uh, due to the lawsuit. The funds st- uh, allow state and local governments to use the proceeds to fund capital improvement projects and healthcare program facilities. Bullshit. I'll get back to that. This type of bond issue is also distinctive in the future payments are not only related to population changes, but to tobacco revenue as well. So, if sales decline, the future payments may be adversely affected. It's never about your health, and it's never about the children. This is exactly why this is happening in California. I would like to see I would like to see the vendors in California fund a research team, an investigative team that's going to go in there, number one, expose this, hire PR, get this on mainstream media, pay if you have to. I don't care. Bring a reporter and buy him a house in Hawaii. Look into where this money that's supposed to be going to health program, healthcare facilities, capital improvement projects, and see where that money is actually going. You must expose this. This is the way that we can win this in California. The second problem that we have, I posted on my Facebook the other day, is all these health associations. Did you see how many health associations, how many health organizations stood up in support? American College of Cardiology, American Health, uh, American Cancer Association. There's a Black Health uh, Association in in California. First time I ever heard of that. 
American Academy of Pediatrics. All these, all these, the list goes on and on, okay? You, you probably listened to it, but you know where I'm going for. These associations, right? These associations have one common goal according to their mission statements. Reduce tobacco usage. They want to reduce the tobacco usage. Because if you reduce tobacco usage, that is going to be beneficial to everyone's public health. Well, guess what? This product that we're using is reducing tobacco usage. What the hell is the problem then? Well, the tobacco usage is what funds these. If people don't smoke, in the next 10 years, all those associations will cease to exist. This is all about the money, man. This is all about the money. We really need a PR firm to get out there and get mainstream media and blast this all over. We can win this. A reporter called me from California asking me about this bill through a common party. And she asked me, what would be, what would be the effect of this bill if, 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 if it continues to pass the way that it, if it becomes a law? Obviously, I mean, some of the bad, even zero nicotine product will be called a tobacco product. Leno clearly said, well, we don't know if they contain, even though the bottle clearly says zero nicotine on it, you dumbass. We don't know if these products, even though they're marked as zero nicotine, if they contain nicotine. You will be a tobacco user in the state of California if you vape. The financial impact from licenses, taxing, excise tax, or extra tax, as my good friend Pamela likes to call it. Other states will look to California and say, hey, look at these guys. They solved their MSA problem. (laughs) We need to do the same thing. I'm talking to the reporter, by the way, just just to clarify. (laughs) She's asking me, you know, what the detrimental effect will be. And, uh, And once I covered all this with her, She says, is there anything else that you want to add? And I said, yeah, certainly. Because you forgot about the biggest problem that this bill has. The unfair, unjust description of this product will cause smokers in California to continue to smoke or not be willing to try a less harmful alternative because this senator and his agenda and the people that support him want to classify a product that contains no tobacco and emits no smoke as a tobacco product in the state of California. Your citizens are the biggest disaster of this bill. And she's like, hmm, you know, I never thought about that. You know why? Because they see us as users. They don't see us as tobacco harm reduction. Don't give up in California. The fight is just starting. Just because this bill passed through this health committee, which, by the way, we expected that it was going to pass. I see posts on Facebook and on social media, and it's all over. Oh, it's the end of the world. No, it's not. It could be. But it's not over. There are agencies behind the scenes that you don't see, and I wish they did a better job of relaying that to the vapors. But there are agencies, there are lobbyists in the background that are working through the various groups in California. There's a lot of work being done in back-channeling as well, too, from some of the big companies. There is work being done in California. Trust me. 
You might not see it, but it is vital. A, please, in every hearing, every chance that you have, if you are affected by this industry financially, number one, or you have the possibility to attend a hearing to protect your health as a vapor, to protect your health, you should show up. Quoting Dr. Facilino is one of his best quotes. You should fight for your lives and your health. It is absolutely irresponsible and dangerous behavior to ban e-cigarettes. Now, you say this is not a ban. Well, it is. It is. They're banning e-cigs, and they're basically calling you tobacco. So show up. Show up to these hearings. Thousands of people can make a change there simply because it's embedded into the mind of politicians. It is extremely important. And number two, please get some people on this MSA. Get some people on these associations that are standing up in that fucking room and saying, I strongly approve this bill because I will lose my job if you don't. Well, they're not saying the second part, but that's exactly what they're saying. I guarantee you that all those people that lined up, they don't even know what an electronic cigarette is. We have to do this now in California. It's not over yet. Don't give up. Derek Yock, he is a former uh, WHO director. He was sitting on the board. He had a really, really nice speech that he did at the Nicotine Alliance uh, conference on the Global Forum on Nicotine, I should say. I'm just going to play one part where he talks about legislation and how legislation affects electronic cigarettes. Listen to this. This is a former director on the World Health Organization, the number one organization on that side of the pond that wants to ban electronic cigarettes. Moving ahead, my key point is this one of regulating proportion to risk. Whenever you see a regulatory discussion, you have to ask the question, is this going to tilt the balance towards reducing the harm of tobacco, or is it potentially going to inadvertently shift people back to tobacco or keep them in tobacco? So legislation that uh, requires prescriptions before you can buy e-cigarettes sends them back into tobacco or keeps them in tobacco, clearly. Legislation that bans sales to children, e-cigarettes, but doesn't first put in place much tighter measures to actually show the kids can't buy cigarettes, tilts them more towards tobacco products. Oh, boy. Did that zing? Did that zing? <laughs> hey, first of all, guarantee me that kids are not going to be picking up cigarettes as they are now, because they are. Tobacco control has done nothing on the point of sale. And then we can d- discuss the possibility of, the, of e-cigarettes. That is a very, very telling point by somebody that was on the World Health Organization. A great point. Uh, legislation um, of many types that starts talking about taxation and increasing the price to be competitive with uh, cigarettes tilts them away from using those products and keeps you in the cigarette category. And I could go on. I think further we could be thinking about praising good, the reduced risk cigarette companies who commit to safety standards, avoiding youth marketing, making smoking obsolete, all of these things. And we between us could be drawing up and already there are draft frameworks of what that could look like. Having the companies get behind them is the first step to making progress. But don't think it's only the responsibility of the tobacco companies and the e-cigarette makers and the reduced risk companies. It's not. The entire corporate sector needs to come strongly on board. The retailers, 
In the U.S., we saw CVS withdraw tobacco products. They unfortunately didn't consider at the same time putting the category of e-cigarette users, despite the fact that they may increase their goal of improving cessation. That needs to happen. Those companies that are still looking at how they're going to become clean nicotine retailers need to be encouraged to move towards putting out front the value of e-cigarettes and related products close to their pharmacy or in their pharmacy or take their pharmacy away, whatever they want to do, but do it in a way in which the traditional cigarettes are either out of the store or very difficult to get. The life insurers are still treating um, these products as equivalent to a cigarette for two reasons. One is they still have not yet been fully convinced of the benefits. It's something which we're all working on. And secondly, because we've got a gap in the testing. How do you test and validate adequately? Again, both of those can be addressed. Putting them together, there's a lot we could be doing to regulate proportionate to risk. And the goal, of course, would be this billion tobacco-related deaths that we have a television crew doing a whole movie about. Clearly, this could cut deeply into that billion deaths. That's exactly my point. This is a product that can reduce that billion death toll, okay? So, great points. I highly suggest that you listen to this entire uh, uh, presentation that Dr. Derek Yock made over there at the Global Forum of Nicotine. It was, it was uh, it's just a fantastic piece, especially coming from somebody like him. Lastly, I was rearranging my vapors. I usually listen to the VP live shows on replay uh, when I travel. They're just great to have. Sunday, I was cleaning my vape layer, and I put on Kevin's show. And for some reason, Tom Baker was on and wanted to mention my name. I don't know why, why people won't want to talk about it if I'm not present. But I did listen to this one segment, which I'm not going to play. I'm not even going to give it the time to play it. There was one segment that said two things. Number one, that ECC was just a party. It's just an expo. There's no, there's no room for advocacy there. They tried to do the best that they could. Bullshit. For two reasons. Number one, we talked about it earlier. How are we going to train these people on what to say? How to engage the politicians, whether it's vapors, vendors? We don't have something where the vendors can magically understand how to talk to politicians. You have here the option of having the most brilliant minds of advocacy between the AVA and CASA and SFADA and all these brilliant minds that are giving you basically free information on how to engage the politicians. That is the perfect time to do it. Or just don't call it an expo. Just call it a frat party. Don't try to legitimize your events by simply inviting Gregory Connolly, which I see him in the chat, <laughs> or inviting these, these advocates to your event to make it look like you're doing something for advocacy. Bullshit. Call it what it is. I'm not going to legitimize the event. You have 25,000 people coming through your doors and you have 10 people listening to these brilliant advocates? That's BS. And second of all, the other thing where I was mentioned is when they say that I'm demonizing the industry now. I'm saying that vaping is cool, which I don't think I've ever said it, but I'll have to go back and look at my episodes just in case because I might have said it. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that I've ever said that vaping, we've turned vaping into a cool thing. But can you dispute going on Instagram, seeing these 13-year-olds blow O-rings? Can you dispute how many YouTube channels have started by underage kids that are vaping? 
can you dispute? There's at least three states now that I have reports of vendors selling to underage people, even if it's zero nicotine and they see nothing wrong with it. What ass have you stuck your head up to see that the biggest problem that the FDA has right now is initiation? And clearly, segments of the industry are forcing initiation. They're, they're supporting initiation. Vaping should be cool. It should be something cool. Because if it's not cool, smokers are not going to transition to it. When gum first came out, nicotine gum, it wasn't cool. Guess what? Nobody used it <laughs> until they put a couple of flavors, made the packaging a little bit more attractive. And then adults started clinging to it and then became another expensive hobby. That's a different story for those that use it. There's a difference between cool and youth initiation. If you don't see it, you're blind. And congratulations for taking clearly the best invention of the last 100 years the one product that could save thousands of lives every year, billions of lives, as Dr. Yock said. Congratulations for taking that one product and turning it into what you've turned it. If you don't see that, my friend, you don't belong in this community. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Smoke Free Radio. I will be back next week with an update and a recap of the vape in the fort. Looking forward to going to Indiana. This is my first trip up there for a vape meet. Hanging out with the Hoosier Vapors. We're going to have a great advocacy panel. Hopefully, Russ will be back next Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern with ClickBang Radio. Of course, Genie K on Thursday nights, 9 p.m. with the Genie K Show. Sunday, The Monarch, Kevin with VP Live Radio. And Monday, Anti-90 with Raven Grimm and her co-host, Genie. Thank you so much for listening. I always enjoy hanging out with you. I'll be back again next week.